Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello everyone, my name is Zoran Nechev. Uh, I'm heading the Department for EU Integration and the Institute of Democracy in Skopje, North Macedonia. I'm also a member of the BEPA group, Balkan in Europe Policy Advisory Group, and also Europe's Future Fellow at IWM in Vienna. Listen to this podcast. So are the Baltic states united against the revisionist power as we write in the weekly outlook? It's 31st of January 2022. Uh, my name is Wojciech Przybylski, Kamil Jarończyk and Miles Meftian are with me in our Visegrad Insight podcast studio uh, discussing the outlook for this week uh, and also for the month of February um, this year. Uh, so Kamil, first let's go with the outlook. What items have we highlighted for, for this week? This week in uh, Central Eastern Europe, Jens Stoltenberg, NATO's uh, Secretary General, said in an interview to the BBC that NATO will not send combat troops to Ukraine in the event of Rus uh, a Russian invasion uh, of the country. This, uh, But he did say state that the alliance is providing support to Ukraine. But uh, the Baltic members of the alliance uh, seem a little bit more steadfast on supporting uh, their Ukrainian friends. Uh, we can see that, for example, uh, Kaya Kalas uh, told AFP on Friday that Europe and the U.S. should be very careful not to make concessions to Russia, and that uh, any um, and that any escalation is solely uh, Russia's um, uh, solely Russia's uh, fault uh, in the issue. Um, uh, in uh, Lithuania, uh, on the other hand, uh, when it comes to the issue with Taiwan and China, uh, the chair of Lithuania's parliamentary committee on foreign affairs said that China is not angry because of Taiwan, or it's less of an issue, but it really is Lithuania's withdrawal from the 17 plus 1 format that angered Beijing. Uh, she believes uh, that uh, it was uh, due to uh, the fact that this was a strategy by China to uh, put a dent in the European uh, un in European unity, and that this was uh, one of the main issues uh, for, the, uh, for their eastern uh, trading partners. So very well. I mean, we see Baltics uh, taking uh, rather a liberal hawkish position here in the standoff both in with uh, Russia and and China. I, I think we should take a note here that both Russia and China are interconnected. It's an asymmetrical uh, relationship. It's not really an alliance. But as things mount up uh, in the border along the border with Ukraine, the the tensions also rise in the Southeast Asia. That uh, that is dividing, of course, the uh, attention. It's a split of attention and uh, of resource um, from the Western powers, especially the U.S. Mm. And the Baltics come here um, kind of understanding the bigger geopolitical game as it seems smaller countries of Central Eastern Europe, but also smaller countries of Southeast Asia seem to realize that uh, what is at stake for them. Mm. Okay, but um, let's maybe move also to what was happening in, uh, in the key V4 countries, at least three of them, I have to mention. Um, in Poland, uh, we, as we wrote in the previous outlook, we had um, an attempt to 
um, uh, first of all, to establish the uh, investigative commission, parliamentary investigative commission in the lower chamber in Sejm, uh, which would have real powers to investigate the case of illegal surveillance uh, of MPs. Well, this has not yet happened and it's expected that PIS would not have majority to reject it. Um, at the same time, uh, we see new MPs, including former Minister of Agriculture from the PIS government um, in the benches of, of the ruling coalition, saying that he's most worried that he might have been also targeted with Pegasus um, and he demands um, a, a commission, an investigation, explanation, uh, threatening to Kaczynski that he may draw, as he did before already um, in the uh, over a year ago, some of MPs to limit uh, the power of um, of the PIS in in deciding the key issues. And another key issue for uh, the ruling coalition last week was uh, uh, the recommendation against the president of the Supreme Audit Office, who is Marian Banash, who is the key person to provide evidence of um, misuse of public funds, of actual purchases of Pegasus spyware uh, by the government in, um, in a procedure that was not clear at all. In fact, it was it is indicated through what we know from the documents that it was with um, uh, violation of the um, of the code of conduct when when it comes to public finances. So the uh, parliamentary co uh, committee recommended lifting um, his immunity in order for him to be prosecuted, but it is still the case, it, it was not still voted as the PIS government is worried it would not have majority to deprive him of the, of the immunity. And the, the week ended last week with the visit of Mr. Morawiecki and also Mr. Orban to Madrid, where they met with the far-right leaders. They, uh, Morawiecki um, was under fire from the opposition um, for meeting with many uh, politicians, with politicians, many of whom or most of whom are uh, Russia uh, allies, uh, Russia supporters, uh, Moscow line supporters. On, on one side, he, he dodged the, the risk by not meeting them over dinner on Friday, but then they met um, on Saturday and then he was explaining that he tried to convince them that, uh, you know, to take a harder position on Russia. Most of them seem to have um, uh, agreed to in in um, in through a public statement from press statements. We know there is some sort of declaration signed of dubious nature because it also seemed to be attacking the European uh, Union also position as usual. But Marine Le Pen uh, openly rejected the possibility of signing such a document. So uh, this remains a, a problematic stance. And of course, Morawiecki goes to Kiev uh, on the 1st of February, the same day as Viktor Orban goes to, uh, to Moscow. Uh, over um, uh, over his claim to to secure even more gas supplies uh, for Hungary mm. in a standoff, a European standoff with Russia over energy security. Um, speaking of uh, Hungary, there is also OSC uh, mission being considered to um, to as an uh, election observation and MEPs 
and civil society organization called for a full-scale observation mission, which is uh, quite an important signal that things are really worrying uh, in, in, in Hungary when it comes to elections and election fraud. And that will uh, that discussion on uh, election integrity in, in Hungary in the upcoming race um, will dominate um, the, the, the upcoming weeks, really, uh, weeks and months until elections on April 3rd. Um, in, at the same time, it's worth to mention that Czechia, which will take over EU presidency in the second part of this year, has already signaled that uh, media, freedom, rule of law will be high up on the agenda, which doesn't uh, immediately improve uh, the relationship within Visegrad, but is very consistent with the Czech positions of the new government so far. All right, but then let's move on to the monthly outlook, um, the monthly foresight, I'm sorry, um, that has been written up by Oksana Forostina and the team, the team of fellows and our, our Visegrad Insight team. Miles, what should we be expecting in the monthly foresight? What's the main, read, the main points in, in the readout? Well, I think without, uh, without any surprise, of course, it's uh, the developments that... <clears throat> that are occurring now in, in Eastern Europe um, regarding Russia uh, and, and the possible attack uh, on Ukraine and the, the military buildup that we see here. So I think that these developments are, are certainly going to shape uh, the future of, of both Europe uh, and the world. And this is something that's obviously uh, on the agenda for February, but of course leading into March and so forth. Mm. What you essentially see right now is whether diplomatic efforts are actually going to work or not. We're right now at a sort of crossroads of what will happen, and we're kind of in limbo here. And I think what we sort of see and what, what is in the foresight piece is that uh, you have to look at what the most optimis optimistic version would be and what would be the most detrimental <laughs> to the region. Of course, uh, one end, the detrimental part would be an actual full-scale uh, attack. Um, many of us are not really seeing that this being the the scenario that will happen. Um, but even when you look at it in a more optimistic way, what you can kind of see is is that oh, this is just some Kremlin drama um, that is attempting to kind of secure um, Russia's uh, solid effort to to consolidate power, uh, not only in certain parts of Ukraine but also in Belarus. Um, and of course, uh, the other point is making sure that the allied uh, ties and the allied trust uh, that we have with within NATO and, and other EU member states is essentially crushed. Um, if not crushed, at least we see teeters in the uh, in the some fault lines there. Um, so you know, this is something that that we have seen. The allies are. Uh, there's a lot who are actually putting forces on standby. They're they're sending additional uh, ships and fighter jets um, in Eastern Europe. We we see this. This is uh, some NATO deployments, some backed by specific countries, like what we see in the Baltics and so forth. But it is more of a concerted effort. Um, and the idea here is is that we already see that there that even just the threat that it poses has had huge consequences on. Um, Russian and Ukrainian bonds, for instance, or the market. Um, so in the case of an invasion, you, you can see a lot of the consequences that, that would happen, uh, not only in energy and food markets, but kind of the world economy more, more largely, right? Um, but, you know, the crack in this fault line, we, we talked about this a bit, and this is Germany. 
plain and simple. Uh, they're the only NATO country that, that is openly blocking um, the alliance's ally Estonia, for instance, from actually supplying these, these German origin weapons. Um, and we've seen that there's been many controversial remarks uh, on Putin's aggression uh, towards Ukraine. And we wondered what's happening here, because it's not just about Ukraine at that point, right? Um, we see that German companies are, are basically putting pressure on Lithuania, for instance, to, to back down on this dispute uh, that we referred to with China. Mm. Um, so th this is kind of a good test, not only for um, not only for the allied response here or allied ties, but also if you look really specifically to uh, the new party in Germany itself and how they will position themselves and well into the future. And then the other s sort of larger um, point that, that Oksana makes is, is uh, how the European Commission is, is about to withhold funds uh, intended for, for Poland um, as its leaders refuse to, to pay the legal fines over uh, the Turov coal mine near the mm -hmm. Czech border. And the fines also because of not implementing the uh, um, European Court of Justice ruling on on the disciplinary chamber, so the court system case. Right. So that that is even more. I think at at this point, way beyond seventy million euro. Exactly. Um, so what in on the twenty second of February, uh, there will be a hearing uh, that will be held before the the Polish Constitutional Tribunal on these periodic financial penalties imposed by the. Um, CJU. So this is something that is definitely... This is going to be political standoff from the Polish government as the tribunal is controlled. Uh, but I think even earlier we are expecting in February um, 16th of February uh, the verdict of the AJC on the rule of law mechanism within the EU funds ultimately consolidate the position of the European Commission or give also to the European Parliament, the tools to um, to uh, make the uh, make put more pressure on EU institutions to with you know to to um, to withhold the money from mm. illiberals. Right. Um, and of course, this will be amidst the the campaign in Hungary, which begins on the official date of the campaign is twelfth of February. So all of that will be extremely politicized domestically in, in, in those countries. So all of this and more is what you can read about more um, in the monthly foresight um, that Oksana has written. Okay, and now let's move on to uh, our special guest, Zoran Nechev, hosted by Tatiana Poliak-Gruj, director for uh, Europe's Neighborhood uh, Program at Visegrad Insight. Tatiana um, uh, recorded a conversation with Zoran, who visited Warsaw last week uh, over a trip with, with during a trip of Western Balkans experts um, uh, through the Visegrad countries to to look for positive examples of what the Western Western Balkan countries uh, can learn and actually implement um, from the modes of cooperation in the V4. And you'll be really interested to, to listen to that, to see what's cooking up, because it is a, a really a top European level innovation, political innovation that is coming up. Um, so uh, enjoy uh, and stay with us till the end. 
Hello, hello everyone. This is Tatiana Polagruvich and this is another Visegrad Insight podcast on Western Balkans. This time we are talking to Zoran Nechev from Institute for Democracy Studies from Skopje, uh, North Macedonia. And we're going to discuss today um, a little bit uh, about uh, V4 and Western Balkans cooperation, but also about the process of Western Balkans accession. Uh, Zoran knows uh, pretty much a lot about it because uh, he recently authored uh, a policy paper about new methodology on Western Balkans accession. Um, but anyway, my first question would be, Zoran, if you could tell us a little bit more about this uh, new project, new initiative that I know your organization is leading, which is called uh, Think Balkans. Tell, tell us a little bit more what it is about. Yeah, it's the, pretty much replicating what the Visegrad countries have in, in, uh, uh, in the Visegrad region. Pretty much uh, it is a Think Visegrad replicated project, so therefore we want to establish the same mechanism that exists here uh, in the Balkans. It's a way or a mechanism in which, on a structured way, the ministries of foreign affairs are delegating anali- commissioning analysis to uh, think tanks from the region uh, in order to widen the scope of, let's say, uh, information and an- analysis in, so they can apply it in their uh, daily, daily work uh, to preserve the regional context Uh, the ministries of foreign affairs of the Western Balkan countries need to decide together on the topics with a consensus and the topics need to be from a regional aspect. It cannot be uh, a topic that is of interest of a single country or deals with a single issue in whatever country uh, in the Western Balkans. That's from the side of the ministries, from the side of the think tanks, how this regional aspect is being preserved Uh, we are having one think tank per country at the moment with the willingness to expand it to two. The second one, again replicating the Think Visegrad model, the second one uh, will, be, uh, will be selected in discussion with the MFAs. And uh, the papers or the analysis uh, are written in a way that we have a lead applicant and co uh, lead uh, writer and co-writers from each of the other uh, five countries. So each document will have at least six. That's how we preserve the regional uh, context on the side of, of the analysis. So my understanding is uh, sort of the object, the, the, the aim of this project is to kind of help Western Balkans countries in their accession process. Is that right? So it's uh, helped them in the EU accession process, not only also to preserve this kind of regional cooperation, that is becoming more and more difficult because of all the bilateral problems that exist, not only with the countries of, 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 within the countries of the Western Balkans. Okay, so tell us a little bit more, please, about this policy paper that I just mentioned that you mainly authored, I understand. Yeah, uh, yeah so this is a paper that deals with the new methodology of the European Commission that deals with the EU accession process and its impact on the countries themselves. Uh, so, after the visit of Macron to Belgrade, uh, obviously he didn't like what he saw there and decided that uh, maybe it's time to renew this uh, methodology or to make the process more efficient and effective, as he mentioned. Uh, that was all good, but the way it was done was actually by blocking the accession process of both North Macedonia and Albania. and. 
starting the whole discussion with the Commission and other member states to draft a new methodology for accession negotiations. All this process lasted for 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 one and a half year, and finally we had a we had a uh, we had a new. Uh, new uh, document that was that was supported by all member states, presented by the Commission, which is actually the new methodology for accession negotiation that deals that will be fully implemented only in the case of North Macedonia and Albania. Although, why I say fully, because also Montenegro and Serbia, the countries which are already negotiating, and we can just mention Montenegro is already negotiated for 10 years, they have already accepted the rules when they started. And that was in the case of Montenegro, for example, 10 years ago. And these are the call, the, the, negotiate, the document is called negotiation framework. That's a legal document, so you can't really change it. That's why these countries needed to adapt to the new methodology. They accepted to, to adapt to the new methodology. However, this is not, it is not going to be applied in all the elements that the new methodology has. So, in a sense, it makes the process a, a little bit uh, different for the ones which are already negotiating and much more difficult when it comes to the countries that are going to start negotiating. Uh, and that's uh, North Macedonia and Albania. Uh, just one significant difference and between the, between the two methodologies is actually one which is going to be, especially in the case of North Macedonia, very problematic, and that's the, the, the uh, those are the corrective measures. Previously, uh, in order to start to initiate these corrective measures, it's, it was either commission or one third of the member states. In the case of now North Macedonia and Albania, you need a single member state. So. Whoever country out of the 27 decides that it wants to block something, it can find a way of a very technical issue to block, uh, to block the, the accession. And having in mind that these countries are heavily dependent on the bilateral agreements that they have signed with, with their, well, in, in this case, the neighbors, there is a fear, or I see a lot of, uh, there, there will be really problematic elements in the implementation of this one. Um, uh, it is much easier when it comes, especially on the corrosive, on the uh, on the corrective measures for the countries which are already uh, negotiating. And it's not only that. Uh, when when Macron initiated this procedure and wanted to make the process uh, more transparent, uh, effective, and efficient, and when the member states uh, accepted this this new methodology, one of the basic elements on which it stands. It's politi creating political will and commi political commitment. That's how it is written, and we have we haven't seen it, this political commitment since since the blockage. Uh, we were expecting much more from the French because they were the ones that stopped the process with the idea to make it more to make it better, and we expected much more commitment from their side, or also to influence the other to push this process forward. We haven't seen anything like that since uh, since 2019. So, so uh, in this kind of 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 a state of play in the uh, within the European Union and the problems which are knocking on the door, especially from the east, uh, there will be even less attention to the enlargement process in in the future.
thank you very much, Zoran. I have uh, another question. So uh, when. Uh, while uh, French presidency is uh, is taking taking place, I mean, obviously, uh, we, we we all know uh, about about the conference that uh, President Macron announced, a conference on Western Balkans. Then we also know that Mark Rutte of uh, the Netherlands also sort of um, supported this, this process, this enlargement to the Western Balkans. Uh, Czechs also uh, announcing that they uh, are planning the summit uh, during their EU presidency. Uh, what's what's going on? Why the sudden change of this direction, sort of? Well, it, it's not a sudden change. Uh, the, the summit, so first we have to differentiate between the summits. This, what Macron mentioned in the parliament, is something new. Um, we don't still don't know what it's going to be, actually. Something about the pace of, of reforms and accession process in the Balkans. What in details that will mean, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, we have to s wait and see what is really out there. Uh, on the other side, the, the, the one which is organized by the Czech government during their presidency is the, this annual EU Western Balkan Summit that is happening. And this is according to the new methodology. And this is happening previously. It was last year was during the Slovenian presidency. Now it will be uh, under the Czech presidency. So this is something that will happen each and every year, and this is according to the new rules of uh, rules of, of procedure. Uh, we'll see how this focus on it's. We can they can meet as much as they want if there is not a concrete proposal on the table. How all of them can move forward? It will be just another gathering, you know, like photo shooting for 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 the Western Balkan leaders and 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 the EU leaders to show that there is still a commitment for the enlargement process, uh, but uh, I don't expect uh, this conference to have something really uh, substantive uh, outcome. But let's wait and see. It might be it, things can change all of a sudden if we one can imagine that it comes to a period when the French really want to you know to return the credibility that the EU has lost in the in, in the Western Balkans and all of a sudden they want to start immediate accession negotiation with both countries. But if this would happen or not, we have to wait and see. Okay, thank you very much, Zoran. Uh, thank you. So Zoran Nechev from Institute for Democracy Studies was, was our guest today. Uh, this was part of uh, our Western Balkans Future Program supported by International Visegrad Fund. Thank you very much. Stay tuned.